This episode is brought to you by Iconic Luxury Streetwear. Iconic Luxury Streetwear is a multidisciplinary experiment founded by the Tava Brothers, established in 2020. A clothing brand that has a thesis of a vision birthed reality, rooted in God created all in his image. Get your merchandise at IconicLuxuryStreetwear.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Iconic Conversations. I'm your host, Tanaka Ishanasutaba. And Iconic Conversations is a podcast um, that is countercultural that brings together innovators, community builders, and world changers for authentic dialogue and the human experience. And today I have the honor and the esteem opportunity to have Mr. Grant Watkins, an entrepreneur here, the founder of Earn Your Freedom, bringing financial education to children from elementary to high school with a fun video game. Now that is incredible. Grant, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course, of course, man. And of course, I gave my little intro, but I want you to introduce yourself. So, of course, you know, your name, where you're from, and what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. My name is Grant Watkins, founder of EYF, uh, based here out of the lovely Houston, Texas. Uh, yeah, and I grew up here my whole life and uh, moved around, traveled a bit, but, you know, back here in the H. And, uh, you know, I got to rep the Strohs. So, congrats for them for winning the World Series. Congrats for that, the World Series. Yeah. (laughs) So, that was a very uh, fun week last week, uh, watching that and going to the parade and everything. Uh, But, yeah, no, just here in Houston, we're working with uh, a ton of schools and a ton of, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but a ton of nonprofits around uh, building uh, a financial literacy video game to teach kids how to invest, how to budget, how to buy real estate, why you buy real estate, and all these different things. Uh, long before you ever need them, you know? So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a great model, man. But before we go dive into the nitty gritty about your entrepreneurial journey and all that stuff, man, um, I just want to basically ask that, you know, who, who's Grant? Like, who are you? Like, like, let's think about Grant all the way back from young, young Grant. Like, who are you and what has made you who you are today? Yeah. What's it called? Uh, And everybody always asks that question, you know, what's your spirit animal? And yeah. Uh, yeah, you always want to say something cool, like a great white shark or something. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, I always say orca. If I'm being honest with myself, something more like a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just grew up uh, son of a pastor, you know, learned how to be Mr. Extrovert. I was the middle son of uh, three brothers. We moved around a lot uh, when I was growing up. Uh, so I got very used to, I went to three different high schools. So I got very used to making friends over and over and being Mr. Social and, you know, getting into different crowds. And then I moved away for uh, college and to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then I, uh, for three years, then I moved to China for a year and then I moved back here. So very used to, you know, being all over the place, meeting new people, making new connections and making the best of wherever I'm at. So just Mr. Extrovert, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's great. You know, um, I can't even imagine what it's like being a son of a pastor. Uh, well, actually, you know, I can't because I am a son of a pastor. My dad's a pastor of his church. <laughs> and, but like, but like, not my uh, early PK, life. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but not my, not my early life, right? So, wait, you traveling around the world was that because your parents were missionaries? No, no, no. Uh, so he had a church out in the Katy area, which is a like a suburb of Houston. Uh, so on the west side, uh, we just moved around to different houses, different it was different family drama. Uh, so I just moved around to different high schools and we moved down to different parts. And then, you know, uh, 
I went to two here in the Houston area, and then my last one was out in New Braunfels, so over closer to San Antonio. Um, and I just I spent only one year there, and I thought if I don't get out of here, like the minute I graduate, I'm going to be like everybody else and be stuck here forever. Yeah. Um, and I thought I got to get out. And then of the three high schools, all my friends were either going to U of H, Texas State, or like UT. And I thought, no, I don't want high school 2.0. Like I want to go and like reinvent myself and figure out who I am, who I like want to be. And uh, weirdly enough, one book that really inspired me when I was in high school was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. his uh, autobiography. You can just read it from like little boy in the Cold War, uh, you know, border town of like the Soviet Union, uh, to moving to America, learning English, becoming an entrepreneur, like starting his like a bricklaying business, like became a millionaire. Then he won Mr. Olympia. Then he became the highest paid actor. Then the, like, so you're just, the dude just kept going and like, all right, if he can do that, what can I do? You know, right. like how, what, what is, what's my potential? And I just thought, well, let's get out of here and let's go figure that out. And right. uh, yeah. So then that first, that, that I really love that point. So that first point for you in order to be able to go reach for your potential was moving to Tulsa. So what, what school did you go to? Oh, it was a small Christian school called uh, Oral Roberts University. Okay, shout out Oral Roberts. Yeah, shout out Oral Roberts. You know, they uh, they put themselves on the map again for like half a second. Uh, two years ago, they got into the Sweet 16. The Sweet 16, uh, yep. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like half a second. I was like, oh, that's my school. All right, they're gone again. So Yeah. But then, like, yeah. um, did you always have that spirit of just being able to be somebody that wants to strike out on their own? Or... How did it, how, oh, how did it cultivate or was that something by circumstance where you're like, nah, man, like, yeah, there's always that debate of, you know, nature versus nurture. Um, I'm the middle child of uh, three brothers and I kind of just grew up with the expectation of, you know, be friendly to all the congregation at the church and, you know, like you're representing something and, uh, I kind of just always knew like I wanted to run my own thing, uh, whatever it was, I just didn't want to work for somebody else. Um, I don't know, just very independently minded and was always willing to disagree with people if, you know, if I felt like it. So that was never a problem. But now uh, I'm still learning how to, you know, dial that down. You know, I've got, got myself a girlfriend now and she uh, has to remind me to like be nice. And I'm like, I'm not being mean. I'm just telling them the truth. Like, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so yeah, still learning those things. But uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, I've definitely always had the independence kind of spirit of like figured out you know, uh, started working early. My first job was at a, a small gym out in the Katy area. Uh, yeah. Basically, if I wasn't running the front desk, I was washing the equipment, you know, keeping everything clean. I was there till late. And uh, yeah, same thing. High school, I just, my senior year, I got to a point where I left before my parents got up in the morning to go and work out. Yeah. And after school, I'd either go work a job or I'd go work at the, or go hang at the library and just read whatever I could to learn. Right. So just, always keep myself busy i just love learning so yeah yeah i mean i mean i think that's important like so wait who are some influences in your life that helped you um and again like i don't think it like when i talk about influences i'm not necessarily talking about like oh your parents or whatever but like some books or some yeah. some podcasts that help you continue to um have this high achiever mindset mm -hmm. of just putting in the work yeah well <clears throat> it definitely started with that uh arnold schwarzenegger book right um yeah, huge inspiration. And then from there, I just started, I really love uh, biographies. So I got to read one on George Washington. And uh, it really taught me, like, just because you lose once doesn't mean you're a failure. 
right. doesn't mean he can't come back from it. I think he lost three quarters of the battles he was in and somehow ended up winning the war. Right. So just crazy stuff like that. Uh, Ray Dalio. Uh, I love his book, Principles. Solid, yes. solid book. Uh, whenever I made that move to China, my brother actually sent me uh, the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. Mm. And I started getting into the podcast and like, okay, like this guy, like for sure. One of my goals is to, if not be on his podcast, at least like have his number one day. Uh, Cause I'm like, we have so many similarities and I'm like, all right, like huge inspiration. And then kind of just his buddies of like Kevin Rose uh, started getting into the, my first million podcast lately. Uh, yeah. really solid one real creative I, it's gotten me into the habit of uh like brainstorming throughout the day and then just uh hey siri take a note yeah uh so no just uh, like different podcasts like that have been huge inspirations uh when i got to college there were a few professors um there's one it was a brazilian man his name was a uh, bruno uh, Professor Bruno, and he, uh, whenever we would be in a hard time or something, or we wouldn't be able to figure something out. He'd always just sit there in his Brazilian accent, like, "Guys, we're going to make it." <laughs> so that has like stuck with me. And anytime I come up against something hard now, I still hear that, like, "We're going to make it." Yeah. And uh, him and Professor Ryder and Schneider and a few others that have been huge inspirations of uh, that I still keep in contact with to today. And uh, yeah. So definitely those professors, Mr. Lee, um, I met him my sophomore year, but it was after my junior year, he gave me the job in China to go and work for him. Uh, wow. So he, he was one of the largest manufacturers for Hobby Lobby right? and well, him and his kind of cohort of buddies, they needed some uh, consulting help on getting their products into other stores in America. They didn't, you know, nobody wants to have one customer. <laughs> um, so I was helping them with that for 2017 and finishing my senior year there. Uh, but huge inspiration. The guy is the model of like kind of just what a, a Christian man should be like. Uh, loved his family, took very good care of them. He built his business like he was a multimillionaire and you would never expect he, he could walk past you and you would never see it right. on the the campus that I uh, that I was on uh, in Beijing. Uh, there was the cafeteria. There was the main offices. There was the bedding, uh, like the, the dorms where I would stay. It was just me, but there was like tons of bunk beds. Uh, and then there was also the orphanage that he was funding the whole time too. So wow. he would fund for a lot of these kids that were displaced because of the one child policy that they either had a birth defect or something. Um, luckily they got rid of it. Uh, they moved it to a two child policy about a year after I left. Um, but yeah, he's just, model citizen model man like huge inspiration so i still keep in contact with him till today wow no thank you for sharing and um yeah. i really like how you know uh, this is why the reason one of my, my my selfish reasons of being able to do this podcast mm -hmm. right is to be able to speak and have like you know just learn from all these different mm -hmm. types of people of like how it got them there today right and oftentimes you know within the entrepreneurial journey right you know we we do want success but what does success mean to us, right? Like, you know, we know mm -hmm. society, like to be a millionaire, you gotta have, have a Lambo. You gotta have the finest yeah. girls. You gotta go have a private jet, right? Mm -hmm. And all the label clothes and, and, yep. All of that, right? But then of course, you know, sometimes like, you know, it's us, cause I'm, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, right, as well. And like, there's this, con there's this tension of, 
what does it mean to be a believer and also have success, right? Because we know Romans 12 too, like, you know, live in the world, but not be of the world, right? Or be in the world, but not of it, right? And it's just one of those things. I'm not sure if I'm, how do you like, you know, uh, for you before, you know, when you've gone on this entrepreneurial journey, did you have some sort of idea what it meant to be successful? Then after that, like meeting Mr. Lee, Professor Lee, it, it, it did it change that idea in your head? Yeah, no, I, uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is pride or speaking into belief the, the lines are very blurred. Um, but even back in college, you know, uh, I would tell people like one day I'm going to be a billionaire. Like it's going to happen. Like I, right. it's as clear to me as like my hand is in front of me, you know, it's just, it just happened. hasn't happened yet, but it's going to, um, I can see it. Um, uh, and I even, I said it enough to where, uh, multiple guys came up to me and said, uh, Hey, when you're a billionaire, like, don't forget about me. Right. Right. right, right. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Like, all right. Like I won't, I, I still remember eating them to today. Cause I kept, I made that promise. Um, I think Mr. Lee had a huge influence on, what money can do to help people um you know because what's what's the scripture that's taken out of context like money is the root of all evil it's like yeah. no it's not money it's the love of money that's the root of all evil and like pride um but money is just a tool it can be used to help or hurt same thing as a surgeon's scalpel you know you can cut somebody open or you can save their life with it um it's just how you use it so i've definitely had a it's had a huge impact. You know, I'm 27 now. Uh, you know, I started saying I was going to be a billionaire when I was 1920. Uh, my views on what I want to be a successful life have definitely changed. Because mm. um, most people, you know, it's the rare case that somebody builds a company and keeps it forever. Right. Um, and I'm not building EYF to have it for the next 30, 40 years. I'm sure the technology will be so advanced that it'll be out of date within 20 years, you know. But... In the meantime, I like to build it up. I want to help as many kids become financially literate as possible. And I'm sure there's an exit in there, you know, within a couple of years. Um, I'm not dumb enough to think there won't be competition. You know, the minute we get it up and going and prove that it works, that there won't be imitators. Right. And I actually welcome it because if there are people out there who are doing that, one, it'll push me to be better right? and like make my game better. And two, if somebody comes along and makes a better game that can get out to more kids faster, good like oh oh no i accidentally like spurred the competition to make the best game to make all the kids financially literate you know right. uh, one of our our guiding lights is what would a financially literate generation look like mm. you know what, what would it look like if all of gen z knew how to invest how to save how to budget weren't getting into crazy high student loans like did all the things the right way went to community college first then went into a four-year school you know like if they just made the right decisions that just take a little bit of time of learning, but make huge impacts in the long run. Right. Absolutely. Um, I love that. And, and, you know, that actually is a great segue of like, why, why financial literacy? Like what, what makes you so passionate about that? And then after that, you wanting to be able to go and give back to kids. Yeah. So I, I, I told you, you know, I already, I always knew I wanted to start my own thing. I always right. wanted to be my own boss and right. control my own destiny. Um, but I never, I didn't want it to just be some small business. Of, you know, you, you can open up a, a donut shop and run that, but if you hate it, you're probably not going to be doing it for very long. Right. Um, you know, I, I want to love the work that I do and know that it's genuinely helping people. And back in was it 2019? I was still working in uh, real estate. I was doing residential real estate sales here in Houston with my brother. Uh, we were building a team and 
you know, I was making good money, but I just, I didn't like the work. Uh, you know, you can only show so many model homes to people before you just say, they're all the exact same. They're cookie cutter. Come on, man, <laughs> pick one. Like, 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 it doesn't matter which one you pick. Just get in one now before the market tanks. And yeah. lo and behold, I was right. And, and, uh, and look, and look, and look, what is it? <laughs> and look what's happening. Yeah, look what's happening in November 2022. Like, those people, if they would have just listened to me, I swear. Besides the point, uh, you just get tired of doing the same thing over and over. And I love the creativity that entrepreneurship has to it. And I was, the whole thing started, you know, what's the best way to start a business is scratching your own itch. Um, nobody ever taught me personal finance. I was making good money, but I had no idea what to do with it. Um, so I just started educating myself. I started listening to every Robert Kiyosaki, Dave Ramsey, Tony Robbins, Bigger Pockets podcasts and books everything I could get my hands on um, for about a year, year and a half. And after you go through every you know major book that's out there um, and you stay away from certain traps, like, you know, trying to day trade your life away where my odds are uh, significantly less than the average broker in New York, but right. their odds are also awful too. Right. But uh, no, you just, all right, what's a safe way to build wealth so I can retire early. And there's only maybe a dozen different ways and they're super simple and they're straightforward. You just got to put a plan together and do it. And I thought, why don't more people know this? Like, why is this so difficult to get out there? And why are all the forms of media that are teaching it, you know, like books and podcasts. So kind of out, not outdated, but they're not as good as they could be. Um, And I'm doing that. But at the same time, I'm also practicing my Mandarin Chinese, my Spanish on Duolingo. And I thought, wait a minute, like, there's a bridge here, like this gamified education. There's nothing out there like that for personal finance. You know, it's right. like I can go my whole life and not learn Spanish. And like, it might hinder me sometimes if I travel to, you know, Latin America, but I can't go my whole life and be successful without personal finance. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to be struggling at the end if I do that. So I thought, well, let's gamify it. So two pivots later, we're here now at uh, making a video game. The first iteration was kind of creating like a budgeting app that okay. had some gamified education to it. The second one was a curriculum since uh, Texas, like many other states post COVID has uh, made a requirement starting in 2024 to teach financial literacy in high schools. Wow. Um, finally. So now, you don't even want to say amazing, but finally. <laughs> yeah, finally. It took them long enough. Um, before COVID, there were only about four states that had any sort of requirement. Wow. Um, Post-COVID, there are 14 who have either already passed it or are in the process of passing something like that right now. So we're trying to ride that wave. And uh, I created the curriculum. Um, unfortunately, they pushed it from, we thought it was going to be this year, and they pushed it to 2024. So you're like, ah, that sucks. And uh, I can either sit around with my, you know, sit on my hands for two years or I can pivot. And uh, that's what us entrepreneurs do. We find a solution to every problem. Right. And uh, we're building this video game so that we can license it to financial institutions, to uh, like banks and credit unions, to schools, to individuals who want to buy it. Um, perfect. Anyone and everyone. I hope they find some way to get this on their phone, laptop, tablet or desktop. Um, so that, yeah, how did, why did I do this? Solving my own problem. Um, nobody ever taught me. And yeah, one of the guiding lights, like I said, is what would a financially literate generation look like? And it's a pretty easy thing to create because I'm customer number one, you know, Mm. what what do I wish I would have learned? How how do I wish I would have learned it? Right. So 
And then, of course, you know, like um, obviously now we're becoming more technologically um, ingrained within society, especially, you know, with like cryptocurrency, the metaverse, video gaming, right? Most gaming industries, right? But now most of the time, those tools have been used for distraction and escapism rather than education. And now with utilizing education for the most, uh, for I think the most important thing that people are going to realize in life besides, you know, um, their health, right? Their financial health is, is like, you know, because when I think about my educational journey, right, I studied theater arts and whatever. Um, I'm not going to use my theater degree in terms of, um, you know, like talk about Shakespeare, but yeah. like I'm very grateful that I got an entrepreneurship minor, which then allowed me to be able to understand that that with a couple classes that changed my life was my international business class with one of my mentors who I still talk to today, my personal finance class, and then um, of course my innovation class. Those are the three things that I always link back, right? But like right back in the day, right? Or my in my marketing, which is really sales, right? You know, mm -hmm. communicating, understanding that that's how I utilize my theater background and all that stuff. But it's kind of like, whoa. But those foundations in, do you now, obviously, it might be a little bit controversial, but do you think the lack of financial literacy education is by design or by default? Mm. <laughs> Don't get me started on conspiracy theories because I'll, I'll go <laughs> off. Uh, but I think it, it is very much design. Um, you know, I, I, I've tried to think about it and try to find a different way of phrasing it in the past because that question has come up. But listen, if you're a financial planner, um, all the stats are in. You know, we've had over you know dozens and dozens of years of financial planners trying to beat the market. The odds of them beating the market is almost zero. It's pretty close to uh, any financial planner has a 5% chance of beating it for one year you have a less than 1% chance of beating it two years in a row. Um, but that's just beating it. Once you add in a financial planner's fees that they take from uh, for scrambling your money, uh, they also, uh, it, they produce less than if you were to just put it in a broad-based index fund, like the Vanguard S&P 500. Right. Like you are best just throwing it in there and adding it every month, making it consistent and not messing with it. Um, it's going to go up, it's going to go down, but if you just leave it in the long run, we've got 90 years of history to show if you leave it in there, like it's going to average about a 9.8% return and you're going to be good in the long run. So yeah, it's just, I don't know. Uh, one of the, one of the guys who's a big supporter of ours, he's actually uh, just released a book, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago about the faults of, uh, financial planners. So, and you know, like the odds of you picking the right financial planner who can beat the market of like the Ray Dalios, it, it takes a quarter of a billion or yeah, it takes $200 million just to get into his fund. Like there's a reason why he charges that because he knows how good he is. You know, there's a reason why there's one Michael Jordan, one LeBron James, you know, and then there's everybody else in the NBA. So, right. you know, it's those guys stand out for sure. Um, but the odds of, me who makes X amount, you know, I'm an accountant at wherever and I make 80,000 a year, the odds of me finding the right guy who can copy that. It's very yeah. difficult because you have, to, very have, difficult. You have yeah. to, you have to be within those people, right? You have to be within that, you know, that network, right? And yeah. so you gotta be within that network. You gotta already make a certain amount of money. You gotta know the right people. And it's just, it's hard. You know, the odds are not in your favor. 
Yeah. Um, and then that's, I mean, that's what a lot of people found out with Robin hood, you know, look at 2020, um, how many, how many billions of dollars do people lose by, you know, thinking, Hey, I, I bet I could day trade better than, you know, the, what is it? The day traders in New York on the stock exchange with millions of dollars of information at their, or like at their beck and call. Uh, but you know, you were going to little, options. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But then, you know, Susan, who, you know, stays at home all day and just watches the news, thinks she's going to beat these guys, like, with these high math degrees. And, like, the cards are set against her. Like, and it's not her fault. It's just that's how the game is rigged. And mm. it hurts and it sucks, you know. And everything you can do to reduce your cost or your risk will helps you. Helps you. And those broad-based yeah. index funds are the way to go when it comes to just throwing your money in. Real estate's a great way. Owning a small business is a great way. They're, like I said, a dozen different ways, but that's the classic, you know, throw money in to an index fund and watch it grow. So interested and, and literally just trust. Absolutely. And so with that, um, obviously, you are not a financial advisor. You are not. You're going to preface that you're not a financial advisor. You're not a financial. This is true. Planner. I am not a financial advisor. This is purely educational. I am not giving financial advice. Exactly. And, and also, <laughs> I want to preface this and say that I am not a financial advisor. I'm not a financial whatever. But um, but even though I've worked in the finance industry, however, I will say, though, is um, with this is, you know, obviously, you know, say that some 19 year old kid is coming up to you. Right. And they want to know they want to learn more about um, financial educate educating themselves financially outside of your game. What is the first practical step that you can feel like that would be a good step for them in order to be able to become more literate? You can break it down to a few basic principles. The ways to financial uh, freedom um, is what it, you know we're calling it. There's the fire movement, the financially independent retired early. Like the basic basic principles are increase your income, decrease your expenses invest more and like decrease your taxes however you can um, and like lower your monthly costs. Like that's it. Like those are the, if you just look at that once a month and like, how can I improve one of these? Then by the time you're, you know, 40, 50, you'll be good. Um, the first way, find some field that has a high potential salary from, if not the get go within a few years. Um, one thing we're really trying to promote here in Houston, um, between the Teals program, uh, Devlin Lyles and improving, he's just started a, uh, uh, like a partnership with Supergirl Shine, Loretta. Mm -hmm. Um, so Supergirl Shine is a nonprofit here that teaches girls, uh, STEM, like, uh, what's it called? Black, uh, black and Latino girls STEM, um, uh, you know, helps them get into it in science, technology, uh, and engineering, and then Devlin Lyles runs improving their software company, but they're trying to create a program where any kid in Houston, uh, no, no matter race, height, weight, gender, whatever, if you're a high school kid in Houston and you want to learn how to code, we're creating a program for you. Come meet up with us. I think they're doing it once a month is like in person and the rest of the time they're keeping up with them on Zoom. Um, we need to get more kids into coding. Like if you can learn Python, uh, you know, you're starting your sophomore year in high school, you're going to finish high school and have a pretty good odds of having a portfolio that will get you an 80, 90, hundred grand a year job right out of high school. No, no need for a college degree. And that hundred grand or that, let's say you even start off at 70, like 
you're starting off at 70 while your buddies are going to learn computer science in college. Great. Like you've got four years ahead of them already working. And now you're at 120 grand when they're just starting off at 80, 85 in their first job. So congrats. And it only compounds from there. You know, I'm sure you can do the math in your head of 5% compounding over time, plus bonuses, plus stock. If you decide to work at a startup or a, you know, more like an Amazon or somewhere. So coding for sure is a big one get like a job in sales or something that has high value invest early invest as early as possible um one thing to look into is compounding interest if you know you've never heard of stocks never heard of any of this compounding interest has been i think einstein said it was a like one of the greatest things about one of the greatest like laws of the universe is compound interest right um if you just throw your money into something that steadily grows and just watch it, just keep adding to it. You'll see that after a few years, it starts exponentially growing something crazy. That's why a lot of these people who they set to where they want to put 500 bucks a month into like an S and P 500. Cool. You know, it's 500 the first month. It's a thousand and five dollars the second month. It's a, you know, a thousand and ten dollars the third month. And it doesn't seem like it grows a whole lot. Um, but it's the small consistent habits. Yeah. All of a sudden that interest starts building up. And then you look at it like on a uh, timeline and after about 15 years, all of a sudden it just starts, oh my God, like, you know, it becomes a hockey stick going up. Um, But it just takes that time in the market for it to start building that interest. Um, So it really is like the sooner you can invest, the better, you know, and I've even heard stories of people who started uh, separate funds for their kids now. And instead of giving them college funds, they started growing. Because you know, my kid's got 18 years of growth. You know, right. at the time, like, they put 50, 100 bucks in at the very beginning, and they say, "All right, this fund is yours. You can either go buy a house with it, you can go do whatever you want, or you can go get a job and let this thing keep building on itself because it's already had 18 years. And by the time you reach 35, 40, you're done. You don't right. like your parents paid for your retirement. You know, so." Absolutely. It's all, it's all, it sounds like for you and and your, you know, your future kids, they're going to be just all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that, that's definitely a debate, too, of like, how much do you give your kids? Like, right. I'm not married right now. I don't have any kids for of preference, course. you know, but it's like uh, there's some people who go back on that. I, I heard about one guy, Brandon Turner from A Bigger Pockets. He said what he did was. Uh, with all his real estate investments, he bought a house for his daughter um, and he put it on a uh, was it 20 year loan and the tenants who were paying for it would just pay off the house. And by the time the daughter is 18, there's almost nothing left on the house to pay off and the daughter gets the house. So now she can either have the house to live in or she can uh, rent out the other rooms and have his passive income. And now her things are taken care of. You know, like, that's great. But you know, what was it that got me here? What, what creates the best entrepreneurs? What creates the best business, like business people? Right. They're not the ones who were given everything. They're the ones who had to struggle through to create their own future, you know? Right. So there's that debate of if I give them everything that I never had, they won't get stronger than me. And like, what does every right. parent want? They want their kids to be better than them. Right. You know? Right. So, and, and you know, that that's such a thing because, you know, um, from a future billionaire talking to a future billionaire, right? Like that—that that is the thing where I'm thinking about, like as well. 
I'm, I'm doing myself. I'm getting the education. I'm learning, whatever, whatever. I'm starting practicing with my, with my, with my siblings since I'm the eldest, right? Mm -hmm. they, some of them don't care. <laughs> they, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal is a great example of uh, the future. Uh, I think he was, he was on an interview once and uh, somebody asked how he like parents his kids. And he said one of his sons was like, hey, you know, doing some party or whatever, like, can I have some money? Or he was like, like, we're rich, dad. Like, why do we do X, Y, or Z? And he was like, we're not rich. Like, me and your mom are rich. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, you're broke. <laughs> like, you better, better get it into gear, you know? He's like, you ain't getting none of this money. And who's like, Kevin O'Leary has openly said, like, my kids are not, he's like, I'm paying for their education. After that, they're on their own. Right. Like, that's it. They get four years of me paying for them. And then they're on their own. I'm like, okay. So, there's definitely a swath and I'm sure you've met, you know, the children of people who were given everything, you know, right, the kids right. who their parents did give them everything. And, you know, they usually don't hear a whole lot of success stories from that. Right. Uh, so I'm like, well, you know, no plans in spoiling my kids in the future. Right. But and again, then, I guess that half depends on who I put a ring on. So it, it, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely true because I was listening to Don, uh, Donahue Pebbles, uh, mostly people. You don't know who Donahue Pebbles is. He's a real estate developer based out of the New York area. He came up from D.C., then went to New York, got to Miami, has a portfolio over billions, has built whatever, was, was involved in politics, one of the biggest Democratic um, um, donors. Great guy. Um, and, you know, he comes from a, a background where his mom was the one who was actually working as secretary at a real estate firm. And then after that, he was able to go dream. And now obviously he has his own children, right? His children will never have to go through what he went through. And he was talking about how, hey, I'm in a situation where I invited my kids into the business. And of course for their kids, but he said, my kids, my children are not driven by money because they don't have to be doing it. But now they're driven at, um, you know, mission. And that, that's like, you know, the hierarchies of needs, yeah. right? Self-actualization. I'm going to be self-actualized to the point where whatever. But, you know, his daughter's kind of reluctant about joining the business. He, he let his son go work. And then the son came back. He said, now I'm ready to join the business, right? Because, again, like, it's, it's the same thing where as most parents, sometimes they often want to try to force their children to be some way. But I think it's going to be important for us to realize that, hey, we can't force our children, our future children to be this one way. We can give them the information, but they will eventually come around if, on their own. And if it's, it's if not, it's OK. Right. Because I'm always thinking about, like, am I going to give my children a trust fund or whatever, whatever? And, and, and I, I am right now for me, I would like to I'm going to be in that camp like they're going to have that. Right. But they're not going to know. Um, or, you know, what? But, but most importantly, I'm going to continue to educate them, hopefully, right? Educate them, can let them continue to do their own thing, like set up a family office or something, right? I don't know. Um, I'm not rich yet. But, like, you know, set up a family office or whatever so they will yeah. be able to go pursue what they want to pursue, but most importantly have the understand. Because, again, like, because I always think about, like, right, you know, you got parents that have that done everything, and some, they don't have the opportunity, like, you know, they tell their kids, okay, don't get it, but what's the point of building all this wealth? Right? How yeah. you pass the wealth generationally? I don't. Know, that's just something I'm always thinking in my head. Yeah. I'm like, ah, I think I think I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Yeah. Um, and instead of a family office, because all the all the data that's come out of family offices, it usually takes about two generations to burn through all the money mm. uh, is what they go through. So you know, you've got 
your kids who grew up with it, they blow it and then they give it to their kids who now, you know, let's say you have three kids. Great. And then they each have two kids. So cool. You've got, was it, you know, six, nine, like plus their spouses, plus whoever, they're all blowing through the money real fast and it's all gone now. I think I'd rather have a legacy like a, like the Hershey uh, fund. Who's, I always forget the first name, the guy who started the Hershey corporation. Um, he built it up, made it, you know, millions and millions of dollars. And then he put in his will that the the people who run the fund or like have access to the, to the funds, um, it has to be kind of unanimous between the fund managers as well as the orphanage out of, I think, Pennsylvania or Pittsburgh. Uh, it's just a P. But uh, they have to work together to put the, put the money in the right places that is purely beneficial for the kids and the orphanage that it takes care of, as well as the other uh, uh, children-based programs that they have. It's like, cool, he's been dead 100 years, you know, and his money is still there, still growing, still helping those kids and still like more every year. So like, I'd rather leave a legacy like that. And I forget who I was listening to, but somebody said like, Hey, listen, if, if I think it was Mark Cuban who was talking about like, I'm not giving my kids all this stuff. I'm going to introduce them to my network. And if they're smart and hardworking, like I was, they will make the best of it and they will use that to their advantage. But I'm not going to just be dropping tons of money on them. Uh, and like, I'm all for that. Like I didn't start with a ton of money. You know, I like, we haven't even raised any money for this yet. I'm just building it all myself. So I'm like, all right, if I can do this, like I shouldn't lower the bar for my kids. Right. I shouldn't make it easier to where they're dependent on, well, you know, where's dad's money coming from? Like, no, no, no. Right. Like I did it. You can do it. Let me tell you how, let me show you how, and you can use that knowledge, which is way more valuable than any like cash deposit. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm actually taking notes about this too. Cause like, you know, I'm like, Oh, and thank you. And, and I really like that perspective. Cause again, I don't know. I don't know. Right. You know, cause you know, you look at, I'm looking at jobs and what he did after he died. And after that, he gave the most of the money to his wife and, and who knows, it's, it's just very interesting to the dynamics of like what happens. Cause you're right. Because like the Vanderbilt family, they at, at the peak, now it's gone. Right. And, and so they might have the name of a college or a school, you know, but that's that that's a very interesting perspective, man. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, no, I want my money to outlive me 10 times, you know, and uh, go well beyond. Um, but yeah, that's just personal preference. Yeah. So, you know, having a yacht for your family also sounds pretty fun, too. So I don't want no yacht. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my brother's a big, uh, it's called he, he likes to boat a lot. He has a boat out in Galveston, a small little one. And we uh, go out there and fish all the time. Um, but he wants to get bigger and bigger boats. He, he works in residential real estate still. He's built his own team, very successful in uh, that uh, that area of business. Uh, but I would rather have like a small, serious plane. Like I want to fly. Like, I want to be able to have, I think that's the ultimate freedom of uh, being able to say, all right, I got a bunch of friends in Tulsa. I got some friends in New York, Miami, LA. You know what? I woke up this morning. It's 8 a.m. I feel like going to see my friends in Tulsa today. Just drive out to Sugarland, jump on uh, to you know, suburb of Houston, jump in my plane, have it fueled up by the time I get there, fly up, hang out for a few hours, have lunch, fly back before that. That's like the ultimate freedom for me. Like go where I want to be, see who I want to see, do what I want to do. Right. So, right. Right. Yeah. And then, oh, you know, now let me ask you this. I think this is a question that's really good. What does it mean 
for what what does wealth mean for you? What is your definition of wealth? Freedom. Um, and, you, and you don't need as much as you think you do. Uh, a lot of people think, you know, if I had, you know, $100 million or I had $50 million, you don't need that much. Uh, you know, if you live within your means and if you're smart with your money and not blowing it, um, I could live very health, very healthy and like fun and enjoyable life off just the dividends of $3 million. Um, you know, like it'll be a very comfortable life. I'm not going to be living in some multi-million dollar home. I'm not going to be driving, you know, every year's newest Lambo, but I live very comfortably. And I think the peace of mind of knowing, uh, I, what is it? What's the phrase? F you money. Mm -hmm. Uh, if I don't want to work for someone, I don't have to, if I wake up in the morning and I feel like, you know, Hey, I think I want to go work uh, remotely from Hawaii today. I can do that. You know, uh, I've kind of, I've for sure caught the bug. I always want to work for myself. I always want to, you know, uh, be my own boss and on a hundred different startup ideas I've got. Uh, but I just want to have enough that myself, my future wife, my kids, the thought of worrying about money never comes into our minds yeah. to secure that invaluable. The, the amount right. of people who have ever done that in the world is minuscule. Um, so I just, I want to accomplish that first and foremost. Um, and that would be, yeah, money is freedom. Money is choices. Money is options to me. It's, you know, you can spend your money going out there and, you know, like I said, buying the next Lambo, or you can put it into a scholarship fund, help some other kids out. You can leave a legacy behind doing things like that. Um, that's why there's, I, I do think about legacy a lot. And I think the thought of my first startup being, you know, a financial literacy video game sounds pretty dope. You know, um, I'd like to be introduced that way of like his first exit was giving kids financial literacy and opportunities they didn't know before. Like if I can do that and be able to partner up eventually with some, with like a frost bank or TDCU or capital one and cool, they buy me out and just give me the opportunity, like the financial freedom to run around and just give this game to every kid in America. Perfect. Like that would be the dream of for like the next couple of years. Um, yeah, it's, it's freedom, man. Yeah. You know, freedom from worry, freedom from stress. You know, what is it? Uh, what is that Jay-Z song? Uh, I got 99 problems. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm pretty sure about 98 of them could be solved by a million dollars in my bank account, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. That, that, that's a fact. That's uh, I appreciate that vulnerability and that honesty. And thank you for that legacy question, man. And I, I want to be mindful of your time. And, you know, we're getting closer to the end of the show. And, and, and with that, um, you know, what I want to ask, like, what are some, what are three things that you would tell to your 18, no, 17 year old self 10 years ago? Man, can you believe that you're 27? No, I, I still like, mentally I'm a lot smarter, but I still wake up and feel like I'm like 1920 and uh, it only hits me whenever I get in the gym and I start warming up and I'm like, mm-mm, mm-mm. like we're not deadlifting, <laughs> we're not deadlifting 405 today. Like, that's not happening anymore. Um, if I could go back, I would tell like, 
what is it? I would give them all the cheat codes. Like, here's all the stocks to invest into to like become a billionaire. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah. Uh, that, that's that's a cheat. Uh, I would tell them learn coding. Um, don't worry about college. Just learn how to code. Go into Houston. Work in the startup scene. That's where you want to be. Um, I didn't even know what startups were before I got like two years into college. I'm like, oh, people are okay. That's what it is. It's not just small business. There's this whole other like section of them. Um, learn how to code as soon as possible. It will be the most valuable thing you could possibly do. Uh, listen to everyone. Uh, a lot of people have something. As Jordan Peterson says, uh, everybody has something to teach you. Uh, and some people, it's who not to be like. <laughs> uh, I think I don't have a whole lot of regrets, but my one regret that I do hold on to is my junior year of high school. This one kid, super nerdy, disheveled hair, big glasses. Um, he told me about Bitcoin in 2012. And I, I refused to look up the value of Bitcoin in 2012 because I know I would just hate myself even more. Like even at whatever it's at right now, still hundreds of thousands, if not millions in my bank account right now, if I would have just listened to the nerdy kid. Um, so listen to nerds. Uh, they usually know what they're talking about. Uh, yeah. Learn languages too. Learn Mandarin. Learn Spanish. Like those would be like just learning. I, I love learning. So I think that would be an easy sell to my earlier self of coding, listen to people, read more like biographies and languages, like get those down. And uh, yeah, it'll produce dividends in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Grant. Um, this is my favorite section of the show. Speak, uh, the speak live section, give, you know, the guests flowers. Um, Grant, I just want to say thank you so much for your mission and how you're on the way and wave of, um, you know, late Gen Z and millennials trying to teach us younger Gen Z's and millennials about financial literacy, um, what you're doing and what you're building is, you know, most people build companies because they want to be famous or they want to be known. But you're building the yeah. company that's here to be of service. And of course, because you, you understand it that sales is being of service. And when you bring service, you bring value and value is how you get paid. But most importantly, you are literally on here on a mission to continue to change and shift people's lives that they don't even know yet. So thank you for pursuing that. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. And thank you for Absolutely. your persistence and resilience for, uh, for you just being you. And I'm super grateful that we connected back in Houston and we finally made this happen, man. So thank you. Me too. Awesome. Pleasure to be here, man. Of course, of course. Where can the people find you at and find EYF yet? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's it called? The best way would be to go to www.eyf.money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not .com, not .org. It's .money. So uh, I love the handle, actually. But uh, that's that'd be the best way. You can check out the site. You can sign up for the wait list for whenever we launch. Um, at the very bottom, there's our socials. So you can follow our Instagram and LinkedIn and everything, and even get in contact with me, uh, down there. Uh, yeah, we'd love any sort of feedback. We're trying to build up a wait list right now. So that when we do launch, we're hoping Q1 of next year, um, to use it kind of as like a soft launch and get as much feedback, like see where we can edit the game, change it. Uh, April is financial literacy month. So we're planning on having like April 1st be, uh, you know, I know it's April Fool's Day, but also have like the hard launch that day and like make it big and you know, have all the bugs taken out and everything and have it fixed and ready to go. 
um, to really teach kids uh, in that month of all months. And yeah, we're, our big thing right now we're looking for is uh, we're about to start next week is the end of my accelerator cohort that I'm in right now with G beta. Uh, we're going to be doing a whole week of pitching investors, but the biggest things we're looking for right now is just raising a small round to finish up uh, development. And uh, we're looking for some banking partners. So if, you know, you know anybody that's in the banking or uh, credit union world that is looking to connect, let us know. We're trying to find somebody who's also on board for financial literacy and giving it to kids in this way too. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's it, everybody, for iconic conversations. Thank you so much for watching. Hit us, hit the links, listen to Grant, and we are out. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. Hope you're able to take something away from this. Until next time, follow Iconic Conversations on Instagram and Tava Multimedia Group on Instagram as well. Share with your friends, family, or anybody else who you think needs this conversation. Until next time, peace.